Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, and me, Greg the Single Guy. We are recording episodes from around the globe to tell you about the best kept secret in education. That's right, it's teaching overseas. We're glad to have you. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, My guest today is coming to us from Hong Kong, and her first name is Kirsty. So I want to welcome to the show, Kirsty. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Kirsty, you are the reason I asked you on our show is because you popped up in a lot of social media and a couple other places, but I came across your website. Can you tell us a little bit about your website before we get into you? Yeah, so I started a blog. Um, called Innovative Global Teaching, pretty much because like when I started teaching abroad or thinking about like becoming an international teacher, I just couldn't find anything out there um, that wasn't about teaching English abroad, which I think is just a completely different thing. Um, so that's where like I started and then I kind of am going on that trick track and then I hope to put more stuff out to you about um just like technology in the classroom, because that's also something that I'm really passionate about. But yeah. Did you start that website before you left overseas for your teaching gig? No. Started while you were overseas. Yeah, about a year and a half in. So it's only about eight months old. Tell us how you got into international teaching. What's your story? So I think one, like, I mean, definitely travel, but like my parents, like me and my brothers were definitely brought up to like go traveling not when I was a kid but like my parents met traveling around Australia um so it's always something that we were going to do and then I mean I feel like these people don't know this but there are so many opportunities in university to travel particularly as an Australian like the government I don't want to say borderline gives you money because you do have to apply for it but if you're eligible you get it um so I did study abroad in Sweden for a year and then I did placement in a Swedish school and I did heaps of subjects around international education. And I just found the whole thing like really, really interesting. So then when I came back to Sydney, I did a placement in an IB school. And I was like, that was the school that I was like, I think I'm going to become a teacher. Um, so I, yeah, so from that was like my third year. I was at my third year of uni. And then in my last year of uni, I was like, I'm going to, because I never actually wanted to be a teacher, which is another story altogether. But um, (laughs) yeah, this was my last year of uni. And I went, you know what? I think I'll teach for like one year, maybe two. I'll go teach abroad in London because then I get to travel. And then, you know, like if I changed my mind, it also is helpful to have like years experience to teach in an actual international school. But it'll be like two, three years max. And now I'm at like year three and I'm like, I'm never leaving. (laughs) So you did all of your education for teaching. Did you get a teaching degree before you left? Yes, I have a uh, like Bachelor of Education and a Bachelor of Psychology. Okay, because I was listening to you and I was looking up some notes at the same time. But I think you were, you were I was missed. I was wondering if I know that you said you weren't interested in teaching at first, but you ended up getting a teaching degree. And mm-hmm. that was how you did it, right? I was just going to say, I wanted to be a school counselor in Australia. To be a school counselor, you have to have a teaching degree and a psychology degree. So I like was very much going to be a school counselor and then did my teaching placements and was like, oh, I actually really like this, which is how I ended up doing a teaching degree, but not actually thinking I was going to be a teacher until I actually got into the classroom and was like, this is boss. <laughs> it is boss. Yeah. Hey, 
I, here's my next question then. So you went from teaching to overseas and you mentioned on your website now, after a couple of years of being overseas, you have a, like you said in your guide for international teaching that you have published on your website, you said there's basically two ways to get overseas. And one was the, just doing it yourself, you know, just power horsing through it and finding the school and sending your resume. Yeah. And the other one is through agencies. Okay. Can you tell us how you got found your current job? So I applied through a website that at the time was called like scroll ISS, which are now two separate companies. Um, I find it so weird to describe because I'm like, I feel like before I started this journey, I'm like, I just didn't really, there's nothing else similar to it that I know of. Um, but pretty much it's a website that schools pay money to advertise in um, and then you apply to. So that's how I did it, um, which I think I highly recommend. I think I just did a podcast episode on this and I was like, it is, I think even if that's not how you end up applying, I'm like, but you get so much more information about the school and the benefits and that kind of stuff as opposed to um, like looking on like TES or TESS or um, applying directly to schools. Cause I did a couple of that too. Like I applied to like schools that I really liked, but it's a lot more work. And I think. And did you do all this while you're in your final year of, of teaching? And I'm not sure I know a lot about how Australia does the teaching program in education school, but you, in the U S we have to do a little bit of student teaching or placement take mm -hmm. teaching before we can graduate um, and I'm not sure how yours worked, but in your last year, did, is that when you applied to these schools or did you do it after graduating? So this is last year, so I, which is different to like teaching in London, because when I taught in London, I taught in public schools. So this was okay. last year, like like a year and a half into like teaching abroad. Um, but yeah, Australia is similar. Like you have to do a certain number of placement days. Um, so I ended up doing, I did a lot just because I was crazy and I was like, well, I'll do another placement. Um, so I did about five or six and I did, because I didn't think I was going to be a teacher. I just picked like really interesting schools. So I did like one in Sweden, one in Indonesia, one in country Australia, some fancy private school in Sydney, a Catholic school. Um, so yeah, I had a really broad placement experience. I see. That's much different than us. And, and the people in the States that are listening to this would be like, normally, if they're like me, they went through four years of college for education. Mm -hmm. And at the end, they graduate. And the last couple months, they're trying to find a job in their district. And you went you went all over the place with your placements. And yeah. I think that's fantastic. In fact, we I had somebody else ask me that as a question of what do my pre-service teachers, what is your what would you recommend if they want to get into international teaching as an intern or as a student teacher? And I told them, you have to really check the schools and get into a database of international schools and find out what their program is, because not every school has teachers from overseas come in as, as service teachers, right? And mm -hmm. maybe there's some even websites that you could that you could share at some point about student teachers going overseas and finding placement. Is there such a thing? Um, 
yes and no. So like I did <laughs> study abroad. So study abroad is like done through the university. So I picked my university in Sweden because right. it offered me a placement experience. So I didn't have to organize that myself. But when I did it in Indonesia, like I organized the whole thing myself. Like I found the school, I wrote them an email, just said, hey, I'm an Australian teen teacher. And I like, I did have connections. Like I knew people who knew people who worked at the school and I'd met them. There's like family friends of family friends. So that's how I ended up making that happen. And I, but I do know like my university now offers an international placement in India, which like the university go with you and uh, like supervise you. Well, because I wasn't supervised by my university or supervised by my Swedish university, like my days didn't count as much. So I did 30 days, but only, I think only seven of them counted. But I didn't think it was a loss in that sense because I learned a lot and I wanted to do it. Um, but I didn't get, like, I had to do more experience back home then as well. Well, you just, you went through the gamut. I mean, you went to Sweden, you went to Indonesia, you went to all in London, you went to all these places as, before like going into international and getting your own classroom and doing all that. And that's fascinating. I mean, and, and I don't know a lot of even of us that do something like that. There are a few and a lot of them will do something like teach abroad or they'll do uh, different kinds of programs that send you out. I think there's one called Teach America. So, I mean, and a lot of our listeners, I have to apologize, but a lot of our listeners, Kirsty, are from the U.S. Yeah. And we do have them in about 82 different countries. So uh, um, those listeners are current international teachers like you and like me. So this is exciting to talk to you about your journey because we all had our different journey getting onto um, to the international site. And I tell you one thing, when you, when I read through your article and there's two, you said there's two ways to get through, I was hoping that you would have said three, because when I tell people about, it, I say, there's actually three ways. There's one is people, you know, so it's like you, like you did in mm -hmm. Sweden, right? You find somebody that's already teaching overseas. You hear about it. They tell you about it. And all of a sudden you start networking. And I almost feel like networking is its own style of getting a job overseas. And some yeah. people are very lucky with that. Mm -hmm. I wrote, I spoke about this in my podcast, actually, like literally it was like a sentence one liner to be like one way is literally to know people. But unless you right. know people, like it's not helpful, like to be like, yeah, you've got to know people. But like, how do you know people if you haven't met them or you've never done anything like that before? Um which again, too, like I didn't have like as much as like this one school in Indonesia that I'm like, yeah, I've like I milked that connection of someone I knew of someone I knew. But I do find it now here, though, like I see a lot of like obviously I meet a lot of international teachers because I work in an international school and then really seeing like how many connections you build or like I guess I see a lot of teachers who like they used to work at another school and then they met someone and now they work at my school and I'm like, it is, I think once you're in it, I'm like connections, I feel like now for me, are like super important to start making. In the US, we call that like the, what is it? The seven. Oh, degrees of separation. <laughs> the, the seven rings. It's like the seven rings of, of Kevin Bacon or something, right? Like, every, like the person you know, knows another person, knows mm -hmm. another person, knows another person, knows another person. Because Bacon has been in so many movies. They always make fun of it. And I feel like once you go to an international school, 
you are teaching right next to somebody that's been teaching at two or three different schools overseas yeah. and they have connections, right? And once you start looking for your next job, not that you are now, I mean, I'm not either now, but when you start looking for your next job, since you're in an international school, you have connections automatically. You can find out from teachers that are teaching now with you what it was like to be in those other schools. And I think that's fascinating. My job right now, I love it because I've talked to so many people have taught at multiple schools overseas. So if I'm interested in going to teach there, I ask them first, what was their experience like? Is there somebody I can connect? Is somebody still teaching there? And that's something that's a benefit of teaching overseas already, because we may not have to go to an agency. And how long have you been at the school you're at right now in Hong Kong? One term. So I started in January. One term. So you're fresh on the boat. How yeah. is Hong Kong? What do you think? Tell us. Um, <laughs> people are like, how's Hong Kong? And I'm always like, it's great. Woo. So for context, um, this is like the peak of COVID in Hong Kong. So this is like the most restrictions they've had. Um, the, the most mo- right now. Yeah. The mo- <laughs> like the most uncertainty. Oh, no. no one really knows like what's happening. And I like for me, because like I moved to London like three months before COVID lockdown. So the biggest thing in right. my world was that Australia was on fire. Like that was what was going on. Like COVID was, was something there. in China like not a big deal comparatively to literally the whole country was on fire. So then, yeah, now I come to Hong Kong and I'm like, oh, I'm so looking forward to, because it's been relatively COVID free for the past two years. I literally get here and one day before I exit quarantine, which was three weeks and insane. But the day before I leave quarantine, heaps of restrictions were put in place. So I'm surprised they even let you in to get a new job there in that country at the time. Because my feeling was that you barely did, huh? I bet, like, flights were being canceled, like, left, right, and center. Like, it was honestly the most stressful thing I've done in my entire life was, like, moving here. So here's a good question. When When you went from London to Hong Kong, how much did you take with you? Like, did you have two suitcases or did you have a shipping allowance from your school that they they paid for and you had maybe something from your other school? Tell me a little bit about that. Are you a minimalist? I had so much stuff because I think it's super, <laughs> like, this is the first time that I've moved abroad while already living abroad. So, like, this is all of my stuff that I own. And I, like, and I think, too, like, I have a lot of like arts and craft stuff because I liked, I'm not good. I was going to say I'm crafty, but I'm not good at it. I just like it. But I had to spend three weeks in quarantine. So all of this stuff that I would have just been like, well, I'll just replace it. Like once I get to Hong Kong, I'm like, no, I wanted, like, I want this stuff to occupy my time while stuck in one room for 21 days. Um, So I actually took heaps of stuff. I had two luggages and then I had to get some stuff shipped um, from London. But my school did give me a relocation allowance. So it wasn't that bad. And you knew that before you, when you interviewed with them, you knew that and you asked them a little bit about relocation allowance and how much you could either by pound or by by weight or by how much stipend money they give you towards shipping, right? Okay. And I do ask a lot of questions just about interviewing process and people Mm -hmm. getting into it. But it's also very valid, valid questions. It's valid, very valid information, excuse me, for teachers teaching now abroad. Because as you go from 
one to the next, you have to think about these questions. How much do I get? Right. Oh yeah. And I was in a position like where I just couldn't afford, like I couldn't afford to go home to Australia because flights at the time were insanely expensive because of COVID. Um, I didn't want to stay in the UK. So I literally had to find a school that would pay me to move there. So that was like one of my big priorities that I was like, (laughs) they need to pay for my flights and getting my stuff because there is no other way that I would afford it. And I wasn't going to go, like I could have gone home to Australia, but I would have had to pay like thousands of dollars in quarantine fees. And then I was like, that's not worth it to then only leave six months later. I was like, that doesn't make financial sense. Um, Nor would I then be able to afford it because I'd owe the government money for good old quarantine. So yeah, that was a huge priority of mine. Reading your blog, hearing your podcast and looking at your website. I can't imagine you want to go back to Australia now that it's stopped burning, but I can't imagine you even want to go back home instead of maybe you you wanted to go back home at the time, but I can imagine you spending a career doing this overseas from your mm-hmm. first couple of years over. Is that about yeah. right? Am I Have I targeted it right? Oh yeah, definitely. I like... I joked to my parents that I was like, because when I interviewed for my job, they were like, how are your family going to feel about you like coming to Hong Kong, like without even going home? And I was like, I've told my parents pretty much since I lived in Sweden that I'm going to like die in Sweden. So for them, I'm like living in Hong Kong. I'm like, boom, it's the dream. I'm like 10 hour plane flight, like same time zone. This is as good as it gets. When I taught in Cambodia, which is just in that, that, you know, it's in Southeast Asia mm. and it's like a 12 hour time zone difference from the United States. Oh, yeah. And my family, my mom misses me. And of course I do newsletters. I do a website, I do podcasts. She's my number one fan, of course, but she, the only way that I keep my mom and dad uh, sort of in life with me is through the, all the media that I create mm. and calling them every day. Right. Of course it's easy online now. But I remember living in, in, in uh, Cambodia and I taught at the International School of Phnom Penh for two years. And as my second year was rolling around, my mom was like, Greg, I need you to move closer to home. I miss you too much. So I said, okay. So I went to a job fair in, I think it was in San Francisco and I ended up getting a job in Venezuela. And my mom's like, but Greg, you're still so far away. And I said, no, I'm in the same time zone. Well, within a half an hour yeah. of the time zone. I was thousands of miles away, but like you, it's a career for me. I mean, I can see you in 20 years. I'm going to be on your podcast again. You're going to be like, old Greg, what are you doing? I'll be like, well, you know, (laughs) I'm married now and I'm diving in Indonesia. And I'm, you know, (laughs) I can see that happening. (laughs) It makes such a difference being in like the same time zone of my family. Like I just... I talk to my family, like, cause my brother lives in New Zealand and has two young kids and like, yes, I mean, it's COVID. So everything sucks. And like, I wish I was able to go home more, but I have so much more opportunity to travel, like to visit home from Hong Kong, but like just having the option to be like, I can call my family during my lunch break and they're awake or I can call, like I set up a phone call to call my brother tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, it's just afternoon time for me, right? like in London like it had to be nighttime or I'd have to get up super early or that kind of stuff. And I'm like, for all the like bad things about Hong Kong and like COVID, I'm like being in the same time zone as like my family, huge benefit. I can't wait till Hong Kong opens up for you because you're the, it's such a beautiful city. It's so bountiful with cultures, Mm -hmm. uh, history, 
and and that's it's going to happen soon for you i know and then you're going to find your way around where to travel and where do you want to go from hong kong just to travel on breaks and and celebrate your your travel bug right and get that out of your system i can't wait for that to happen yeah things actually should be opening up like in two weeks it was like by opening up i mean like uh because we currently have like it's it's i think coming from london it's just a very weird like sense of restrictions because in london it's like schools are closed last like if schools are closed everything is closed where here it's like schools are closed but lots of things are still open but like the beaches are closed but you can still go out to have lunch with someone but you can only go hiking with one other person but you can still go out and eat at restaurants until 6 p.m but the but you can't go to the gym or the beach. Were they still wearing masks when you were in London? Yeah. I think though, like some people, but not, I think like indoors, like people go to the shopping center, like you'd put it on. But like, I mean, I mostly like went to, like if you go to public transport, but I think it was definitely um, looser. In the Middle East right now, it's pretty much still in place where you're still wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. They still follow you. Uh, The country I live in, they still follow you on your app like on your phone, like yeah. Big Brother. And we still have to get you show that. It's slowing down a little bit, but we used to have to show it to get into any store. It's laxing now, but we're still, it's so different because in, in another month or so, I have to go back to the States for a wedding and back to my home and nobody wears a mask there anymore. It's it's like there is no COVID in the United States. And, and I don't mean to go off on COVID, but I go back and visit uh, probably once every year now because of family. But the longest I spent overseas without seeing my family was three years. And it's crazy, I know. But it depends on each individual is going to be different. But a lot of us teach overseas at schools where you can get back to your home every year. The contract you signed at your school now, do you have a a yearly repat allowance? You don't. Is it? Do you have an initial and final? Or did you just have an initial? Okay. Yeah, so I just got a relocation like package kind of thing. Um, But my friend was telling me that she worked in China and then she got flights home every year and the school organized it for her. So she just had to like message like the school HR and just be like, I'd like a flight for Christmas time. And they'd be like, no worries, booked. I'm like, damn, man, what a great like package. I would love that. There are a lot of schools out there. And as you mature through this, these mm. years and look at more and more schools, you'll find a lot of them do the, and they, people don't want to talk about tiered of schools, right? Like top tier, you know, second tier, third tier international mm. schools. I don't think we can help it. And in, in my book, yeah. I actually talk about the accredited longstanding, you know, top tier schools. And I mean that because that's how we categorize things. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you agree, you agree with that, right? We have tiered schools, and I think your top tier schools are going to be including your repat, your annual repat will be included in a lot of those contracts with those schools. It's a great, it's one of my number one questions for a school, and and hopefully and hopefully you'll find a school like that too if that's important to you. I like it when they reimburse you for it or they give you a stipend that you can use either way. So some some summers I've spent in country and not going home and I still get the repat um, flight, but then I might use that for a vacation or use it to go back home during the school year at a different time. I think like the benefits that a school give you like a really reflective of like school culture, because I mean, this is my theory, but I think because like my school doesn't offer that, I think it's because 
like we don't have like staff don't just come for one year or like two years like a lot of staff on my school have been there for like five or six years so it's like less of this like international culture per se that you might see in like I mean, it's my friend's school that like where it was like, like high, like lots of internationals, lots of high turnover and that kind of stuff. So I think like the um the benefits of like my pa- like package, like a lot of it's like really Hong Kong based. And I think that's reflective of like a lot of people are more like, I want to say like settlers, like people who are settling in Hong Kong. Um true. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you to a point, and I'm gonna add on to that point. I think mm-hmm. it reflects a school culture, but it also reflects a country's culture because if you're working in a hard, in a difficult country, like in a developing country, and they may not have the same amount of things, or it might be more restrictive, like the country I live in right now, mm-hmm. there's teachers that stay at my school currently for like 10 or 15 years. So I consider it one of those residential schools, but yeah. they still give you that, that yearly repat. In, in knowing that you do want to go home every year, but it fosters. So it's, it's sort of weird. It's sort of hard to gauge the school culture based on, on as one of the tools as repat, but I agree with you. It does. I agree with you. It, it deals with trust in the teachers too. Right. Yeah. And I definitely think like, but like the more benefits you have, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but like, I definitely think that they make up for other aspects of the school. Like if it's further out, like generally you will get better benefits than if it's like, if it's high, like if it's a good school in a great area, like the benefits are less because people will want to work there anyway, as opposed to like talking about like, like my relocation allowance isn't, I mean, it's actually pretty great, but like other schools, like in China, like you could get a lot more benefits, but like the, the areas in which I would work would be lower, which is something I think trying about. to sell the school. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, not, I'm like, not a bad thing. I just really think it depends on like what your priorities are. Like, cause if you're looking for a school where you can save heaps of money, I'm like, that would be great for you. Or if you're like looking to travel, like you might take something that has less benefits, but you're like better positioned to be able to travel on weekends and stuff. And, you know, I took your quiz on your pamphlet. There's a quiz and it asks you about 11 11 questions, I think. And you're collecting all that data for later. I think that's wonderful because, you know, know, once I take that quiz from your beginner's guide to overseas, I took the quiz and I didn't get any feedback. I don't know if it was going to be emailed or if there is any feedback. I was thinking, oh, she's just collecting information because she wants to know. And I think that's, it's not a bad thing. I think it's a great thing to find out why teachers oh, want yeah. to go overseas, right? And that's what your goal is to find out what, get them to think about this. Where do you want to teach? Is it matter where, whether you can go home, whether you can save some money? Uh, is it the benefits? Do you want to just explore a different region or a different language? And I loved your questions. I think they're great because they made me think about why am I going overseas yeah. or why do I want to think about it? Right. And that's the goal, if I'm not mistaken. It should definitely at the end, like if it's the destination one, like pop out with a destination that like suit. I do. I mean, I was like, people can't see me doing air quotes because I'm like, suits you. Because I really, yeah, I really found that like when I was doing it, I was like, there's so many places in the world. And I would just love to have a computer, like to put all my data in and it just spit out and be like, you should go here, Um, which obviously the quiz can't do. But when I was making it, I was like, I think it's actually really helpful to like 
consider this and then be like, oh, and these are like the kinds of places that might work. I mean, stereotypically, really. But, and then, which I find really beneficial too, is I mean, I used it because as I was making it to be like, oh, this country is very similar. Like Japan is similar because I really wanted to go to South Korea. And then I'm like, oh, but Japan's similar to South Korea. And that's, and then like Hong Kong and like Singapore, maybe I'd like them too. Whereas like before I kind of looked into it, I guess I didn't really know like what other countries are similar when it comes to like international teaching to each other, which I think like really broadens your horizons of like where you might apply to. Right. I Let me plug my book real quick for you. I'm going to send you a copy of it. And on the copy cover, I have an atlas and it's got three darts that are hitting different parts of the atlas because it sort of sums up my feeling of teaching overseas. I've been doing it for so long and I just, you know, I feel like I'm throwing a dart and it's landing somewhere because the first time I taught somewhere was Honduras. I had no idea where it was and I had no (laughs) idea where I wanted to go, right? Regionally. I just wanted a great job and experience something new. So it's like, a, so that's the, the heart of my book is, is the step-by-step it's called finding the right fit. So it's yeah. how to get through a job fair at one of those agencies, right? You yeah. mentioned ISS Shroley, which is now separated and Shroley is, is Shroley, is it Scrolly or Shroley? I have no idea. I just, I don't either. No, I, I but they're Australian, right? They're based out of Australia. I didn't know that. I don't know I either. Don't I'm, so. I'm guessing. I didn't know if you had the answer because you're Aussie. <laughs> I didn't know. I would have. I, I would have assumed that they were. Um, I just assume everything's American. Like if it doesn't okay. say, I'm like, oh, it's American. It didn't. I don't think it's Australian. There's ECIS, which is like European, uh, the European hmm. Council of International Schools. I think it's called CIS now. Um, that's very, that was based in Britain. The IB is really British, right? The IB curriculum is really British. Those schools, the ISS fairs are based out of the U S you're right. Uh, there's, there's one in Canada, I think in, um, on in Kingston, there's quite a few different things, but I was just asking because Shroley and ISS, how I did it. And I recommend ISS more than anything. I recommend ISS, even though they're separated, I, I knew them before they got together with Shroly, Scrolly, whatever we call it. <laughs> but I wanted to plug my book there because I'll send you a copy and I want you to yeah, tell geez. me what you think of it. We'll take a moment's break now to remind you how to reach out to us. Of course, you can address any negative comments to Kent, the cat guy. We do love to hear from you. If you're out on Facebook, we don't do that, but our handle on both Instagram and Twitter are at ITPexpats with an S, I-T-P-E-X-P-A-T-S as a handle. If you want to, you can send us an old email at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com or you can visit us at our new website at www.itpexpat.com www.itpexpat.com. Well, back to the show. Let's talk a little bit about overseas experiences. And on this podcast, we always share either lighthearted or serious or wow stories about police incidents. Did you ever have a police incident in any of those countries that you lived in? I only. None that I lived in. 
I'm a proud to sound pretty bothered person. Um, no, but I did have like one time I was traveling in for university in I don't think I was in Israel. I think I must have been in Jordan. And we had like they have like tourism police that like travel around with you. And without a doubt, I like I get lost everywhere I go. And I was a but never negative experiences because this person <laughs> was my tourist, uh, like tourism police. Like I got horribly lost down some like strange alleyway. And then like, I mean, thank goodness nothing happened. But it's like this strange like Jordanian, like 50 year old man was like, come follow me. I know where your friends are. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I'm like <laughs> 19 at this point, right? And I'm like, okay, sure. This sounds like a safe and wise decision to make. And I'm going down this like crazy alleyway and I'm just thinking to myself, like, this is not familiar. Like, this is not the way that they took me. He was like, just go that way. I walk around the corner and there was like the tourism police just being like, Kirsty, where are you? What are you doing? And I was like, I love you. I love you. You are my new favorite person. Please help me get back to my boss. Those tourism police, I have a similar story. I was in Egypt teaching for a year. We were in Cairo and there's a, like a Friday market. So like a, mm. there's a, there's a certain market you go to. And uh, there were about four of us, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was a long time ago, 2004. And we were walking through the market, just four or five Americans. Right. And uh, we're just walking along. And the next thing we know, we're surrounded by about five different, six different police. And we said, is there, is there a problem officer? And they're like, no, no, we're just here for your safety. And they walked through this whole market, like hours with us, just surrounding us like bodyguards everywhere we went, they went with us. It was so strange, but like you said, they were, it, we just went with it and, and it was, yeah. it's a different story than yours. Cause we were in a small group, but it was so very visibly strange that here's the white people walking along all the Egyptians and we've got armed guards around us. I don't even know if they're armed, but they had uniforms on. And we asked one of them, I said to the guy, is there something wrong? He's like, no, we are here for your safety. <laughs> I had crazy. no idea. Like, I think, yeah, I know. Crazy. We had this guy like traveled on our, like he traveled on our bus with us for like the whole four days. And I was like, what a great job. Like, I don't understand if they're like actually part of the police department or it's like the equivalent of like transport police. But I was like, what a great job. You just get to travel around with tour guide. Like, like him Did he and interact with you guys? Did that yeah, guy on the bus, like, did he interact with you? And yeah. Yeah. Like, and he like, like ate lunch with us and he was a cool dude. Like, cool and then that? he would like tell us about like, um, like he I think this is my thing because I'm like he did it for a job so like he knew heaps of this stuff so he'd like be telling us about places we visit I'm like wow and then constantly was like curse you stay with the group and I'm like yes I'm coming (laughs) you did your master's of education in international education who was that through yes it was a international education and bilingualism and that was through um Oh my gosh, watch me butcher the university name. So it's in Spain and I swear it's some like UCJC. So it must be UC, Camila Jose Silo. It's just a like private university. Um, it's in Madrid, but it's on like the outskirts of Madrid. And they're very, um, I was going to say very well connected. No, they are connected with um, 
SEC schools, S-E-K, which there's like seven or eight of them in the world. Most of them are, I think it's like one in uh, one in Ireland, a couple in France and like three in Spain. And the reason I ask you that is because one of the things that some teachers, especially in the United States, and I'm not sure about Britain, but a lot of, of teachers decide that they're going to go right from college in to get their master's and then go into teaching. And they're worried they might be thinking, well, if I go overseas after graduation, when am I going to do my master's? And I'm going to have to come back to the States to do my master's. But there's a lot of opportunities out there. And I did the same thing. I took my master's while I was, well, a little bit different, but while I was teaching overseas, I did my master's through something called Framingham. And Framingham actually sent the professors from the States, from Massachusetts, to the school. And we got our degree over two years. And Framingham is one of those opportunities to get a master's of education while doing your international teaching job. So I don't know if you know about that, but it's similar to getting a master's through another satellite school, right? Where you don't have to travel to that country to get your further education. Because you're, I don't know about you, but I think the master's does make a difference at a point in hiring. I. What do you think? I, I'm not sure. Like, I think... I think for me, like I, when I was applying for schools, like I'd only worked for a year. So like I am, and like, I technically don't have my accreditation, which I mean, in Australia, it's not a big deal. Cause like you accreditate, like, I think cause our university process is, I don't want to say harder, but it's a lot more rigorous towards the end um, that we take, like we work at like a preferred, I wouldn't say it's not proficient, but like temporary accreditation while we work on our accreditation over a couple of years. So it's not a big deal, but for like, uh, when it comes to like going to a U.S. school, it pretty much looks like I don't have a teaching license. So right. for me, like getting a master's, I think that like, I pretty much use it to be like, I swear, I swear I'm good at my job and getting a foot in the door. But I don't think that because it's not a qualifying master's, like it doesn't actually qualify me to do anything extra um I just know more stuff so I feel like once like when, once I got interviewed like it was an interesting talking point and I could definitely use it to my advantage to say like I know my stuff um but I don't necessarily feel that like which is a shame because I wanted it to like work really in my favor but I don't necessarily feel that it made that much of a difference to getting hired I just think it makes me better at my job. It's a good point. Okay. I think I see it as a tool in the box. And when you're yeah. being hired, they're going to hire a lot of face-to-face -face interviews at least. And now it's video. I think a lot of it, they make their decisions based on personality, on the, oh, on yeah. the interview person, on your the way you handle yourself. And yet a lot of some of the accredited schools are going to go back to that page and say, do you have that bar, that, checkbox, right? Do you have yeah. this? Do you have this? Do you have this? And IB training, right? That's a big one that's that's holding some people back is that IB experience. I've been kicked out of an, not kicked out, but I've been refused at an interview just because I didn't have a box checked like that. And I guess as we go along in the process, you go to different schools, you interview yeah. and you'll, you'll see where there, where you need to build up your toolbox, I guess you could yeah. say. And I definitely so. think like, it doesn't do any harm having it. Like, I think 
you only get positive benefits from having a master's. But my experience is that literally just having it didn't do as much for me as I thought it would. But I think it definitely makes me like when I was in interviews, like being able to talk about it or like draw back to being like, and this is something that I did like all for my master's or from my experience in this subject or I did this, blah, blah, blah. It's also a good talking point because literally all my interviews were like, that's so interesting. Tell me more. And I'm like, let me, let me demonstrate my teaching knowledge. So can you tell me one or two, one or two questions you got in an interview for an international school that maybe threw you for a loop that you didn't expect? (laughs) I just did a podcast (laughs) episode on this. I felt like in general, I feel like it was very similar to like what I would get like when I was in London. I technically never applied for schools in Australia, but like I went through the preparation process um, for it. So I was like, I'm also like really insanely prepared. Like I wrote down every question they could possibly ask me and then typed out a whole complete answer and then changed that answer into dot points and then memorized it. So I was like really prepared for like, most of it, but that I made a couple of errors that I was like, they're really simple when you think about it. But I was like, it was just these moments from being like, what am I saying? Which was when they asked me, why do I want to live in Hong Kong? I didn't like, I didn't want to move to Hong Kong. <laughs> I didn't want to come here. Uh, not whatsoever. And I hadn't thought of a fake good answer to say, I'm going to like living in Hong Kong. I'm so excited because it's such a metropolitan city and you've got access to the world, whatever, right? I didn't have that. So I am really bad at thinking of things on the spot too. So I literally said to them, I don't, I don't want to live in Hong Kong. And then as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Do not tell them (laughs) that you don't want to live in the city that their school's in. But then I just said, like, I applied for the school because I wanted the job at the school. If the school was in Singapore, then I would live in Singapore I did enough research to know I'd be I'd happily live here but it's not like it's not something that I want to do well you know what's great about that what your answer was was clearly from the heart and I Mm. think that that's what they're looking for rather than coming up and being prepared for with a fake answer just in case they ask me this and I don't want to go there and make it look like I want to I think what happened was they put you, they sort of, you sort of put them on the spot to sell their school a little bit to you and living in Hong Kong because it's a two-way street and you being honest with them in the interview, which is what I, the bottom line I tell everyone is be transparent because they're trying to put together this big puzzle, right? They're fitting together to find out their puzzle, whether or not you fit into their school. And the fact you didn't want to really go to Hong Kong, but you'd be a great teacher in Hong Kong. I think that that's so much different. Can you imagine, Kirsty, if you went in there and you knew everything about their school, you know, whether or not your qualifications, but you're just like, oh, I've always wanted to live in Hong Kong and it's the best. And I can't wait to go to your school because I love the way the culture is. And I've been waiting for years. Can you imagine if you went in there saying that? I think a ton of people want to go to Hong Kong, but they're looking for a good teacher that happens to be living in Hong Kong. I've run into that with Germany. I have interviewed with three different German schools in the past 20 years, past 100 years. I have interviewed with three schools because I speak German. I lived in Germany in my earlier years. I speak it still. I have family there from my, my staying over there that year. and. 
they don't care. <laughs> they're like, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I speak German. They're like, we don't care. We're looking for the right fit, for the right teacher at the time, for the right position, for the right person, this, that, and the other. I could, I, mean, I kept kicking myself in the head and I've given up. I think when I retire at 90, I'm going to go and live in Germany and just yeah, give them all yeah. the finger, right? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think it's like a fine line between being like, yeah, I, I do like, you can't, you have to come across like going like, I'm going to be fine living in the country. Because I think what they're trying to suss out is like, because not only, which I think my, I really appreciate by my school, they're like, you're not just a teacher, like you're a person. And if you don't like living in Hong Kong, like you're going to quit your job, regardless of how good the job is. So I do think there is a point where you're like, well, you need to come across as being like, I know that I will be fine, like living there. But like, I'm the same, like, I really want to live in Sweden. And I'm like, whenever I apply to Swedish jobs, I'm like deleting paragraphs of me just talking about how much I love Sweden. I'm like, they don't need to know this. Like, they just need to know that like, I've lived there before. I speak the language possibly. Like, I'd really enjoy it. And then focus on me as a teacher. Let's talk about your website, blog, podcast, and what people that are getting into international can get out of your website and blog and all of the media that you do. Yeah, it's really aimed at people call me self-centered, but just like me, I think like as a, so I would say, I wonder, I'm like, I wonder how long I can call myself a young person. Um, But like just coming fresh out of uni, being like, (laughs) being like, I wanted to teach abroad. But I think there's this huge perception that like either it's for like really insanely good teachers or like they're just like, how do you bridge that gap between like, I want to do it, but like, I don't know how. And I think too, the more that I've in like being an international teacher, the more that I learn now that I'm like, there, it's not that like international teachers gatekeep the information either. I just think like, unless you're running in those circles, like you don't know that kind of stuff. So I like, pretty much it's like all that I feel like for international teachers I'm like it's not that in, like interesting because it's really like the bare base minimum of what it means like to get an international teaching job and to teach internationally and like how to do it for those people who are saying to themselves like I would love to do that but I just I literally don't know where to start um so like the teaching abroad podcast at the moment is really like just going from like step one like what do you do to like how do you find jobs to the basic stuff like that you need to know like when applying, like not stuff that you could Google or that you could ask your friend. Like I'm not going to talk about that because I don't want to waste anyone's time. But like all of those, like not even really like inside of secrets, but just like that base information that you're like, I am that person that you now know who can tell you. Turns out international teaching job interviews exactly like normal teaching interviews it's not that different but I was super anxious about that until I experienced it and went oh I don't need to put effort into worrying about that I need to put effort into talking about myself well so but yeah it's all very new so I think like the more I do this the more I teach abroad and the more I learn the more I'll be able to put resources out to help people But I always say to people, I'm like, DM me on Instagram. I will talk to anyone about teaching abroad forever. So I'm like, you have a circumstance that isn't addressed. Let me know. What's your uh, handle on on Instagram? It's Miss Beachy Teaches and Beachy is spelled like B-E-E-C-H-I-E. Because that's my teaching name. We'll put that below in the podcast. (laughs) And your website is called? 
innovativeglobalteaching.com. And you're, that's your website and you maintain that. Do you have help mm-hmm. with that? No, just to talk myself up a bit. Um, I actually designed the whole thing myself too. I got, um, I had to self-isolate for two weeks from school because I was a close contact with COVID. And I was like, what am I going to do with two weeks off that I have to stay inside my house? I learned from YouTube how to build a website. So on your website, you got a blog also. Yeah. And that they can find that on your website rather than yeah. the blog itself, right? Okay. And your podcast is there. And it's just you on the podcast, or do you have a co-host? Yeah, it's just me. So the first, like this season is yeah, really like the step-by-step of like the bare basics you need to know to getting a job. But I hope to do more interviews because that was something that like when I was looking for jobs, I listened to like every interview like podcast out there and there just aren't that many. So this summer, because I'm actually going home to Australia. So I'm pre-recording. Good job myself because I'm actually super terribly organized at this. Like interviews with people um, just talking about their teaching abroad experience. Because I think too, like you had um, Kristen on your podcast recently and Kristen's great. Um, And her experience is like so different to mine. And I think like teaching abroad is so broad that I think like I can't possibly represent or explain the niche or the ins and outs of every experience. So I'm really looking for people who like have that different experience to be able to share that. So other people have somewhere to go for questions that like, I don't know what it's like to teach at a bilingual school. I don't know that, but I know Kristen who does. Well, you're lucky to be an international teacher because we do get to travel. We do Mm -hmm. get to go back home when we choose to, like you're going back once in a while, like I am. And I hope, I'm sure your parents will love to see you again. Is there any final, any final advice you have for our listeners out there about getting into it or what to do since they're already teaching? Well, I think my advice for anyone who's like thinking about it, one is to just do it. Like I always say that like with the tips and tricks to teaching abroad, but there is no tip or trick like you just do it you either apply for the jobs and you take the time to like apply and keep applying and keep interviewing until you get one or you don't so I think that would be my biggest advice like if you're thinking about it do it put it in action because it is definitely worth the effort and with those words, I'm going to end up this episode, Kirsty. It was so wonderful to have you on our show. We'll put your information underneath so people can follow you. And we'll have to start listening to more and more of your podcasts as you go. So I wish you a lot of luck in Hong Kong right now and in the future. Oh, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. 